1,000 years before Jesus was born, King David of Israel wrote a prophetic poem called Psalm 22, in which he prophesied that the Messiah would die by having his hands and feet pierced. Now, at the time David wrote those words, the method of Jewish execution was by stoning, and it would be 700 years before the Romans would develop crucifixion as a method of execution. What were the specific methods of execution? Why was crucifixion considered to be the most torturous death a person could experience? What did Jesus really suffer as He underwent the process of crucifixion? For the answers to these questions and more, stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy. Showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. This is the third in a series of programs about life in Bible times. Now, in our first program, we took a look at what it was like to live a nomadic lifestyle in the time of Abraham and even in the time of Jesus. In fact, there are still Bedouins in the Middle East who live the same sort of nomadic lifestyle to this day. It is not at all unusual to see Bedouin tents along the highway between Jerusalem and Jericho. The only difference between now and Bible times is that you will often see a TV antenna sticking up through the top of the tent. It's usually connected to a television set that's run by a car battery. Now, last week we took a look at the Passover meal, how it was instituted, how it was celebrated in the first century, and how it became the basis of what we call the Lord's Supper today. In the process, we took a detailed look at Leonardo da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper that Jesus had with His disciples, which of course was a Passover meal. We saw that the painting was incorrect in all its details, and that the event looked more like the painting you are now seeing on the screen with everyone reclining around a U-shaped table. This painting was done by Marilyn Todd Daniels, and you can get a print of it through her website address you see on the screen, woodsonginstitute.com. I would also like to encourage you to visit the website of the Bible Times Learning Center, which is located in a suburb of Jerusalem called Ein Karim. That website address is also on the screen. It is BibleTimesOnline.org, and the director, Annie Thrasher, would appreciate your words of encouragement and any financial support you could supply. And now, let's go to the Bible Times Learning Center. In the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Once again, this week, we're going to be taking a look at uh, how people lived in Bible times. We are here in Ein Karim, a suburb of Jerusalem, at the Bible Times Learning Center, and here is the executive director of the center, Annie Thrasher. Annie, Hello. thanks for having us back. Thank you. And uh, she is going to give us a teaching right now uh, concerning 
crucifixion, the, the techniques of crucifixion and other aspects of it uh, as it existed in the time of Jesus. It's all yours, Annie. Crucifixion was a Roman method of torture. Many people thinking of Jesus' death think, ah, it's a way of killing people. But first and foremost, it was a way to bring people to torture. The Roman executioners were very, very, very good about how, how many stripes could someone get with a whip before someone was completely incapacitated. They were very understanding about where to place a nail so as to hold a body and yet not break a vein or an artery that would cause complete loss of blood and death too soon. So when we think of these Roman execution, it's not just at the time of Jesus. It was in the whole of the Roman world, and it began close to 100 years before Jesus and several hundred years after. But we're going to talk specifically about what happened to Jesus on that last week of his life, and, well, the last day on the crucifixion. And for that, I need some help. Sakura is going to assist me in this teaching because, well, crucifixion takes more than one person. Crucifixion, as I said before, was a means of torture. And it would always begin with a beating, a severe beating. Now, as torture goes, 39 lashes was considered merciful. So the whip of the Romans was multi-stripped. Usually the ends were filled with glass or pottery or metal. And the idea was not just to hurt the person by impact, but in fact to strip the flesh. So I'm going to let you be my example. So if you'll come over here and put your back through this. So the victim would be tied to a post like this. And the swinging would go over the shoulders and down. And then it would go over the next shoulder and down. So the idea was that this would go from his shoulders to his knees, from his shoulders to his knees. Now, imagine 19 times, times 3, times 4. That's what each lash meant. So the stripes were literally ripping the flesh from the body. But now, if 19 wasn't enough, then the balance of that would go on the back. So the victim having been revived, I'm sure, is then shoved against the stump and then the same action from the shoulders to the knees, from the shoulders to the knees, unmercifully doing this until the flesh was just flayed. In the case of the Gospels, we know that Jesus was, in fact, beaten by Pontius Pilate. And from there, it seems to indicate that he was taken to a place where he was turned over to the soldiers. So I'm going to turn this over to soccer because I would like him to tell you about the game of the king. The Bible tells us about the soldiers, the Roman soldiers giving the Lord 
the thorny crown and we read that they used to come in front of him you know dealing with him as a king we do believe that that was a game we know about the 20 different games that Roman soldiers used to play it in their time off most of these games carved on Antonia fortress pavement some of them we still could see till this moment now, we don't know about most of these games but the one that they used this with the Lord we know it very uh, uh, well that's called in Latin Saturna Saturna means one day king it goes like this three soldiers would play it if I win the other two would deal with me as a king I am the king of today whatever I say they have to obey I give orders you make me massage you cook you do this you do this they not supposed to complain or to refuse but in the end of the day they will kill me now please don't ask why and how I don't know and here I just remember the Russian roulette game it's a crazy game but it's a game the Romans when they saw soldiers killing each other this easy they said why don't we change some rules of this uh, game let's do this two soldiers would play with a prisoner Ah. And if the prisoner won, mm -hmm. let's deal with him as a king. Mm -hmm. Let's give him like a good time because we're going to finish him at the end of the day. So maybe, I'm saying maybe, that was a game. Hmm. Well, we know that Jesus was given a robe and he was given a crown and he was given a staff. So it seems that that's possible that he was, in fact, made the king for the day. That's right. That's 100% that's right. But Please remember, in the biblical days, a person would put, cover his uh, uh, body with the three pieces of clothes. Mm -hmm. The head cover, mm -hmm. the sandals, and the robe that it works also as uh, uh, underwear. And here come three soldiers. Now, he's going to die, so he doesn't need these clothes. Let's take it. Now, Herod Antipas gave the Lord a robe, the royal one, mm -hmm. when he heard that he is calling about himself, he is the king of the Jews. Mm. So he gave him a royal uh, robe. And he become a person with four pieces. Three soldiers would take three pieces. Each one mm -hmm. would take a piece. But there is an extra one. So the idea was, let's play and see who is going to win this mm -hmm. good piece. So the prophecy about rolling the dice for the robe comes it's true. It all it's fits the prophecy. So prophecy. I want you to explain perhaps about the Roman cross. My understanding that it is not what we see in the paintings from the Renaissance, but rather the cross is a cross beam. Is this true? That's 100% that's uh, true. But let me tell you something very important. There was a message behind this. Now remember, the crucifixion, as you said, it's a uh, uh, Roman punishment, not a Jewish punishment. Because Jewish people would stone the person who would teach against God and against the Shabbat, against the temple. Mm. Now, 
They used to crucify the people right on the main streets, next to the main streets. And they used to plant trees, they, I mean the Romans, plant trees, mostly olive trees, on both sides of the highways. Mm -hmm. So you go there with your children walking towards the city, and you hear people both sides screaming, please, take me down, please, help me. And you don't want your kids to, to see or hear this, you block their eyes and ears. This mm -hmm. is the message. If you're not with us, you end like this. Ah. Now, the, the cross, we read about th like three kinds of crosses, mm -hmm. or mainly two kinds of crosses. It might be a tree, look like a cross, mm -hmm. or a tree just like this. So the beam that he carry, which is like 50 kilograms, they put it in this way. And here is the cross. Probably this is what they used for the Lord Jesus. So this one here on the ground might be one kind that he might carry because the gospel says he carried the cross, he carried it to the place of crucifixion, and then it would be lifted up on, to a higher post so that it could be seen from farther away. That's right. And please remember that the highest uh, cross, it was only three meters. Ah. Notice that Middle Eastern people are small. Mm -hmm. They're not giants. Mm -hmm. You don't need very high uh, a cross like the mm -hmm. one we see in the movie. The lowest one was meter and a half. Ah. Now, please remember, uh, it's not a place where you have fun. Because Romans wants you to suffer a lot. So we read about crucifying two to three people on one tree. Wow. Sometimes. Wow. And tell me about the length of time. I understand that the type of crucifixion that the Romans practice, especially in this part of the world, should last for the people being alive for three days? Three to seven days. Three, three to, to seven, seven days, days on we the read cross? This, yes, we wow. read this in the Bible. Uh -huh. According to the position that they put you on the cross, cross you know, uh, nailing your hands and your uh, legs... Well, look, let's take a look at this cross here. This would be like an olive tree that was set by the side of the road. Exactly. Okay. And it looks like a cross. So what they do, they make a seat for the person to sit here, not to relax. Then, since he's fighting, he doesn't want to die, they use ropes to hold him, his uh, uh, arms, waist, and legs. Mm -hmm. Then, you notice the nail. Hmm. Nail look like this. They're going through a piece of wood, like washer. Now, how do they know about the hard wood? In uh, 1968 in Jerusalem, in an, a Jewish neighborhood called Givat HaMiftar. It's very close to mm -hmm. the Hebrew University in Mount of Olives, Mount Scobus. They discovered an, uh, two ossuaries. Like a bone box. Bone boxes, stone uh -huh. bone boxes. And one written, you know, uh, it's the Jewish names, written on the uh, ossuaries. The first one belonged to Simon, who built the temple. Wow. It's Jesus' time, first century AD. Then the second one belonged to somebody called Yohanan bin Hazkul, John, son of Ezekiel. And when they opened it, they found something very interesting. They found the anchor bone. They found the nail I'm telling you about going through a piece of acacia wood, mm -hmm. like washer. Mm -hmm. Going through the bone, coming out from here, 
another piece of olive wood mm -hmm. sticking to the nail from the other side. And they okay. also discovered that the nail went through a knot inside the olive wood, uh -huh. so the parents or the family could not pull the nail out. They put the bone with the nail as it is in the uh, ashwari. So wow. we know exactly even the shape and the size of the nails. Wow. Exactly. So let's see how that would look. Well, the, the person would take place position like this. Mm -hmm. Then use ropes sometimes to hold him. Well, put your arms in, okay. All right. Then remember that the nail should go here. Ah, so Not it's here because he might pull and, you know, uh, cut through. Unlike the paintings that we get so much our history from, then this indeed would go through this area here. Between the two bones. Between the two bones and not tearing any arteries. And no way to take it off. And no way to take it off. Okay, let me see the other arm. The other arm will be like the exact thing like this. Now, I understand the practice was to pull the arms as far as possible because that already limits the, the depth of your breath. So you can only breathe short breath. Is that true? That's 100% right. Okay. And if you see, you know, the leg would come this way. Well, let's see. If the leg would come this way, then, that would indicate that this would go, as you said, through the bone here. Exactly. So either the spike was long enough to go through two, two ankles or the ankles were on either side of the tree. We do believe that it's two nails, uh, one on each side of the tree. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. So, the tradition then would be two nails through the wrist and two nails to the ankles, one on each side of the tree. Exactly. Now, this position mm -hmm. would give you, since you're, you could push yourself up, leaning on the nails, down mm -hmm. nails, uh. up to breathe, down to sit down to sit. Mm -hmm. This position would give you a chance to live between three to, f to seven days. We read in the Gospels that there was a thief and a murderer on either side of Jesus. And the Romans wanted to hurry this up because the, the holiday was coming. Passover was coming. It had to be finished. Yes? Yes. Now, is it traditional then, if they want to kill you more quickly, they would come and just break the knees? That's right. Remember that, you know, as soon as you put on the cross, nobody would take you down. No one will take you down. So, take you three or seven days, you're going to die in the end. Mm -hmm. So what they do, families or parents waiting for the person to die to take the body, nobody come, they just throw the body in the garbage. Mm -hmm. Now, what if the person fainted? Mm -hmm. They won't release him. It mm -hmm. should be 100% dead. So mm -hmm. what the soldiers would do, take the dagger and stab the person. Mm -hmm. If he's still alive, he might move mm -hmm. or shout. Mm -hmm. So what they do, just to finish him, they would bring big hammer mm -hmm. and break the two knees that he used to push himself up to breathe and go down. Mm -hmm. In this way, the person would fall down, suffocate, and die quickly. Ah. 
Now okay. what happened was the Lord, that when they stabbed him, he was dead already. But mm -hmm. they did this to the other two thieves. Mm -hmm. They were still alive. So what I'm understanding you to say that is with the murderer and the thief at the left and the right of Jesus, the Romans came in and broke their knees and there was shock that Jesus appeared to already be dead. And then the Roman took the spear and speared Jesus and out came water and blood. He was already dead, right? That's right. Remember, please that the whip you talked about mm -hmm. that caused a lot of uh, uh, made a lot of holes in the body mm -hmm. that the Lord m lost most of his blood mm -hmm. that he become very very weak mm -hmm. could not carry the uh, the beam the cross and when they uh, stabbed him here water and blood come out because mm -hmm. there was no mm -hmm. lake like mm -hmm. of blood in uh, mm -hmm. his body well let me let me see. There's been controversy for years about who killed Jesus. Yes? Yes. Yes. But from what I see, he chose the time because he said before, I lay down my life and I can pick it up again. Yes? And then he also said, it is finished. And then to his father he said, into your hands do I commit my spirit. So he died before the bones were broken in his knees. Well, you got but, to follow the prophecies also. Remember ah, that he is the Lamb of God. This is what John the Baptist also said. Mm -hmm. And he died on the cross on the same moment that Jewish people would start killing the Passover lamb. Ah. Passover lamb you first you drain the blood and this is what they did with the whip most of his blood drained out mm -hmm. Passover lamb should be unplumished so they did not break the bones because the way you kill it the way you eat it you just take the meat never break any bone this is exactly what happened with the Lord Jesus welcome back to our studio in Dallas Texas I hope the teaching you just heard from Annie Thrasher has been a blessing to you there's a couple of things that Annie alluded to that I'd like to develop in more detail. The first concerns where the crucifixions took place. Because of the immensely popular hymn, The Old Rugged Cross, most people have the idea that crucifixions were conducted in very remote places. That's because the hymn refers to the cross of Jesus as being on a hill far away. Well, folks, nothing could be further from the truth. Crucifixions were always conducted in very public places. The crosses were usually placed along the sides of major highways so that they could be seen by the maximum number of people. The point is that the Romans wanted to make it very clear to the people what would happen to anyone who dared to challenge Roman authority. Can you imagine the horror of walking down a road with your children that is lined on both sides with crosses containing dying men crying out for help and moaning in agony, it must have been ghastly. I think it's interesting that just as Leonardo da Vinci's painting of The Last Supper gives a completely wrong impression of what the event was like, in like manner, the great hymn, The Old Rugged Cross, gives us an incorrect idea about how crucifixions were conducted. Yes, great art that inspires our souls 
can be historically inaccurate. Now, the second item that Annie Thrasher mentioned that I'd like to comment on is the question of who killed Jesus. Now, folks, this is a very important question and one we need to consider carefully. Historically, the church has blamed the Jews, accusing them of deicide and branding them as Christ killers. And this accusation has been the source of much anti-Semitism throughout history. The Bible spreads the blame to groups other than the Jews. For example, here in Acts chapter 4, verse 27, the Apostle Peter proclaimed that Jesus was crucified by, and I quote, Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So, who were the ones responsible for the death of Jesus, according to the Scriptures? The Jewish king Herod, the Roman governor Pontius Pilate, and the Gentiles and Jews of Jerusalem. But you know what? There were many more people than that who were actually responsible for the death of Jesus. Spiritually speaking, every person who has ever lived, including you and me, is responsible in part for the death of Jesus. That's because... Jesus died for the sins of the world, and all of us are sinners. That's the reason that when many of the great Christian painters throughout the Middle Ages painted scenes of the cross, they always painted themselves into their pictures, standing at the foot of the cross, encouraging the mob as they mocked the dying Savior. The fact of the matter is that we all have the blood of Jesus on our hands. But the good news is that same blood makes it possible for us to be reconciled to God our Father if we put our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. At the Last Supper, Jesus referred to one of the wine glasses symbolically in the following way. He wrote, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And the Apostle Paul expressed it in this way, Having now been justified by His blood, the blood of Jesus, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. Here's how the Apostle John put it in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. He said, If we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sins. Have you put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If not, why not? Salvation is a free gift of God's grace that comes through faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I urge you to reach out to God in faith, confess that you are a sinner, accept Jesus as your Savior, and ask God to save you. There is not anything you can do to earn salvation. It is a gift of God's grace. And please, do not allow Satan to convince you that you are unworthy of God's love and His salvation. The Bible teaches there is no sin so dark, so terrible, that it can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. If you decide to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, seek out a Bible-believing and Christ-exalting church where you can confess your faith publicly and manifest that faith in baptism. Then, get involved in a Bible study. Get involved in a Bible study group so that you can start growing in the image of Jesus. Well, that's our program for this week. Next week, the Lord willing, we'll be back at the Bible Times Learning Center in Ein Karim, Israel with our hostess, Annie Thrasher, to talk about first century burial customs. I think you'll find the program to be both fascinating and enlightening. I know that it will give you some new insights about the burial and resurrection of Jesus. Until next week, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. 
The program you viewed today is one of four powerful videos included on the Life in Bible Times DVD. In these videos, you'll learn about nomadic living, the Last Supper, crucifixion techniques, and burial customs in the first century. These videos were shot on location at the Bible Times Learning Center in Israel and feature the teaching of Annie Thrasher and the staff of the Bible Times Learning Center. The accurate recreation of the surroundings, artifacts, clothing, and customs of the first century will invigorate your study and understanding of the life of our Savior. Life in Bible Times is available for a gift of $15 or more. Call today and mention Life in Bible Times. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 